Hi everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. And in this episode, I am joined by Billy Simmons, the co-founder and COO. There, there's the, the one dog, good thing it's, this is named Tux Time, of Daylight, which is a challenger bank that focuses on the LGBTQ community. Billy, thank you so much for being us with us and joining us for Pride Month. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So what gave you the idea to start this? Because I have definitely, you know, in my time covering the challenger bank industry, I have seen other banks pop up that focus on certain segments of the population for various reasons. What gave you the idea to, to focus on this? Uh, well, originally, um, I was approached by my co-founder, Rob, um, who had been uh, working on a very early iteration of what an LGBT bank could be. And originally I was approached to um, to do some user testing. So, you know, I'm a trans woman. I've lived in the US uh, for about f- uh, five years. I've consumed banking products. And so he wanted to chat to me about my experiences. And as I was going through all of, you know, my experiences, I realized that there was a ton uh, wrong with, you know, the, the way that I've kind of had to navigate the financial system. And it was really a light bulb moment for me. And a couple of months later, I joined up with Rob and, you know, we started on this journey um, coming up to a year now. So it's been it's been a, a wild ride up until this point. So what were some of those things that in your time doing the user research that you found that the financial system was just, I don't know if neglecting you was the right word, but it wasn't built to, you know, optimize performance for someone like you that has different financial needs than someone like me or, you know, the typical user that they've had in the past. I guess there are a couple of things. So from my own personal experiences, um, you know, the process of getting my name updated across all of my banking products was one that took, you know, countless hours. I had to out myself multiple times as trans. Um, I had to spend hundreds of dollars and I've ended up with kind of this uh, limbo sort of partial solution um, that doesn't really work for me. So for example, um, you know, I managed to get my debit card updated with my new name um, relatively easy. I'm saying relatively with uh, air quotes here, but you know, (laughs) it took me many hours and and a lot of time. Um, But every time I log into my banking app, I still have to log in with my dead name because it was because my username at the time was based on my name at the time. Um, I still get a monthly email and I still get letters to my house addressed to my dead name from my credit card companies because when I updated my legal name, uh, because it was my first name and my gender markers, the credit scoring bureaus don't know how to deal with that. And so my credit score split into two. Um, so there's kind of all of these really, you know, interesting uh, and kind of terrible uh, pain points specifically for the trans and non-binary community. But when you kind of broaden out and you're thinking about the LGBT community, when we started to do some research there, there's, you know, really shocking statistics around how uh, financially behind the LGBT community is. So um, we are more likely to have student debt or we're more likely to have more student debt than our non-LGBT counterparts because we have lower levels of familial support. Um, mm. We're less likely to own homes. We're less likely to get approved for mortgages. Um, and a really interesting thing happens for a lot of LGBT couples when they're sort of in their 30s and they're thinking about, you know, home ownership and families. The average cost of having a child for an LGBT couple is $55,000. Um, which is a cost that most non-LGBT couples don't have to, you know, face to conceive a child. 
Um, similarly, you know, there's a huge cost associated with buying, you know, putting a down payment on a home. And so very often LGBT couples are faced with, you can have children or you can have a home, but you can't have both. And all of this, you know, we're talking lower wages, less likely to be promoted, um, lower levels of financial literacy. And all of this culminates in um, we are 40% less likely to be prepared for retirement than our non-LGBT counterparts. Um, partially that's because of all of these you know, systemic uh, issues. Um, and partially it's because we are more likely to want to retire in a higher cost of living area because it's important to us that where we retire is affirming to our identity and you know, that we're not having to go back in the closet um, you know, when we turn 70. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole kind of universe of, of stuff there that's, you know, that, that needs to be fixed for the community. And I think um, the other kind of interesting part that we're kind of getting to now is realizing that actually a lot of our spending behaviors inadvertently support uh, people and organizations that do not have our best interests at heart. Um, so something that we've kind of something that's become really interesting for us and something that I think a lot of customers are saying to us is that they want to know that where they're putting their money is, you know, is an, is with organizations that have values and, um, you know, support their community and then the, and have the same values as they do. Um, so that's also something that we're kind of looking at now. This is just fascinating because there's so many things that you just mentioned there that I would have never thought of myself like places where you know having to choose between having a kid and having a home although I guess with the housing market today I feel like I kind of have to make that decision too but like always having to make that kind of decision it's just it's wild and you you mentioned also another thing I hadn't thought about but makes total sense is that you want to retire in a place that tends to be higher cost of living because those are the places that are going to be more accepting uh sadly of you know what you guys stand for um how so going into all that what are some things that daylight does to you know help people help your customers with that so kind of going in the same order of the problem statements that i that i just went through um so you know starting off right out the gate um the ability for trans and non-binary people to have whatever name they want on their card it doesn't have to match their legal identity um and indeed we've you know rethought the entire onboarding and kyc process um, to make it as empathetic and, uh, you know, specific to the trans and non-binary community as possible. So you have to still obviously have to, um, you know, onboard with your legal name, um, but that is the only time you have to see it. After that, your chosen name is, you know, available across all of our systems. You can update it easily through the app. You don't have to, you know, notarize a document and take it into some place and eventually get a card. You can just order it in your chosen name in the app easily. Um the other kind of core parts of this when we're kind of thinking about okay, how do we solve this you know, huge like LGBT wealth gap problem, um, starting with you know, access to LGBT financial coaches. Um, another really interesting thing that we heard a lot when we were talking to customers early on was people who did have access to you know, financial coaches or financial advisors, um, would, they would often have very alienating experiences. Um, so, you know, the number one thing we heard from gay men was the first question I got asked was, what does your wife do? And, mm. you know, financial advisory and, you know, all of that kind of stuff is a very personal thing. And it's, you know, when someone makes a bunch of assumptions about your life, you're not going to be super comfortable, you know, uh, unpacking all of your different finances and all of these very, you know, personal things. Um, so access to LGBT financial coaches that, 
you know, speak your language, understand you as a person already, and you don't have to educate and do the emotional labor of kind of, you know, do I come out of the closet? Do I not? Um, LGBT specific financial education resources, because there is a, a big gap in financial literacy for the LGBT community, um, helping them understand some of the the nuances and the difficulties that are specifically associated with being LGBT. So, you know, things like how do I think, how do I adopt in a state where it's legal to discriminate against me? Um, how do I go about saving for something like that? Um, and then access to a community of other LGBT people. So we have a you know wonderful uh, growing community in the app of LGBT people. You can share your savings goals into the app. You can ask questions and share advice. Um, and it's really just an amazing place for everyone to come together and start to, you know, centralize some of this information because for so long, you know, these communities have existed in very, um, you know, hyper-specific locations. So, you know, if I'm, uh, I was briefly in Richmond, Virginia, and there's, you know, a very, very small, tight queer community there, but it's only, you know, there and it's based on who you know. Um, so the ability to kind of bring the community into the app um, and start making this information more accessible ultimately, because, you know, we all succeed when, when one of us succeeds. And I think that's really important. Totally. And I love you mentioned uh, how important community is too, because obviously at FinTech today with our Slack community and everything mm -hmm. and like the members are just, it, it's what makes us successful, right? Like that's who we're working for, trying to make happy and trying to improve their lives. What have been, you know, you guys launched not that long ago. I remember hearing about you raising your seed round of funding. Um, since your launch, what have been some of the most popular, uh, you know, community features and things that people are asking for and using? So, you know, something that's been really interesting has been very early on, you know, a lot of the savings goals that were shared into the community tab were kind of, you know, these big aspirational lofty goals, um, you know, saving for a car or saving for my post-pandemic vacation and this kind of thing. And um, I actually uh, set up a goal um, to have an emergency fund because I've never set up an emergency fund myself. I've always kind of you know, <laughs> lived a bit fast and loose with my finances. So this has truly been, an, you know, an experience for me to kind of get my finances into shape as well. And what we saw after that was, you know, I think I think it was something like a third of the community then also set up emergency funds after that. Um, and it was really interesting to see the ways in which you can lead by example in the community to kind of destigmatize de some of these slightly unsexy, you know, financial aspects. Um, you know, not everyone necessarily wants to shout to the to the kind of wider online community that they are saving up for a gender confirmation surgery. Um, but by leading by example and kind of rewarding that behavior in the app, you know, this is a, it's a safe space that's, you know, affirming and and kind of just a wonderful place where, you know, people are really genuinely cheering one another on. Um, so that's been kind of huge, just kind of leading by example and, and kind of figuring out ways that we can kind of destigmatize some of these uh, financial habits. Um, similarly, um, we've, you know, we've started something that I kind of, I guess I underestimated the impact of was, uh, was uh, badges. Um, so like for certain behaviors, like setting up savings goals or spending a number of times on the card um, or even just setting up your profile, um, you know, we're award awarding different hyper-specific uh, 
queer kind of coded badges. So the one for setting up your profile example is um, an icon of Madonna's cone bra called Like a Virgin. Um, and people went absolutely nuts for them. I, I, we saw a huge <laughs> increase in people setting up the profiles and spending more on the card just by giving people, you know, these little uh, badges to display on their profile and share into the community. Um, so that's been really powerful. And and then I think, you know, I kind of uh, briefly mentioned it earlier, but the other kind of interesting thing that we're building now um, is the ability to assess your current spending um, to see how in line with your values it is. Um, so this is something that's been very highly requested, kind of comes off the back of, you know, the idea of ESG investing and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, what does it mean to take a look at your spending and see how actually, you know, in practice, you know, it's all very well to invest in ESG stocks, but in practice where you're actually spending your paycheck, um, how is that supporting you as a community? How is that supporting your values? Um, you know, beyond the LGBT community as well, I think, you know, we're initially making it very specific to the LGBT community, but a lot of the community also wants to support uh, racial justice, also wants to support the environment. Um, so I think there's a really big potential for that to kind of expand out. So when comparing you guys to the typical challenge bank, how does your business model differ from them? I know like the typical one is going to have a lot of money coming in through that transaction swipe fee, obviously. Is that where you guys make the bulk of your revenue as well? Or like sort of tell me how that differs as well as how it's similar. Yeah, so we're taking um, a slightly different approach. So Interchange um, makes up about a third of our uh, revenue at this point. Um, the other ways that we're kind of you know, I, I think you said I was, I'm, we're still in beta for um, about probably about another three or four months, I would have thought. Um, we're experimenting with membership fees, um, you know, and thinking about membership fees in a kind of, in an interesting way. So again, when we talk to a lot of customers, there are a lot of people in the kind of upper income brackets that want to support people in the lower income brackets um, and want ways to do that. Um, and so one of the ways we're thinking about doing that is, you know, membership fees that kind of work on a sliding scale. So you can pay your membership fee, but also sponsor someone else's membership fee from a lower income bracket. Um, we're also building out our merchant rewards program at the moment, um, which I you know think will make a bulk of that as well. Um, and again, kind of thinking about some interesting ways in which, you know, that that sort of cashback can be repurposed um, for things like mutual aid, for supporting other, you know, members' goals, as well as just getting cash back in your pocket. Because I think there are a lot of people who, you know, make enough money that 10% cash back at their favorite coffee shop that's queer-owned is, is great, but they would be more than happy with 5% cash back at their favorite queer-owned coffee shop and 5% going to, you know, a mutual aid fund or, um, you know, specifically someone in the daylight community's goals. Very interesting. You could even have it where it's like one of the wealthier people on the platform like sponsors some membership fees for some of the lesser um, lesser well-off people on the platform and whatnot as well. Um, yeah. and, and for those that are not familiar with the typical challenge bank model, uh, one third of your revenue coming from swipe fees is far lower than what um, the typical ones are. I think I did a story a few months ago where Chime's revenue, for instance, it's somewhere around like 60, 70% comes from swipe fees. And then the rest comes from other things like, um, you know, any sort of like other fees or memberships, things like that. Um, so how do you think about you guys going forward? Just like 
Would there be a reason to expand outside of the LGBTQ community? Would there be, or even just like work for that community and not do just financial services? Like, what do you think about other areas that you might be able to touch in those people's lives? Yeah, it's it's something that we've been we've been discussing a lot recently, um, specifically with kind of the idea of of you know the the entire audience, because especially as we're moving in this direction of um, you know spending in line with your values, that is not necessarily something that is you know totally specific to just the LGBT community. Um, you know, I have many friends and family members who are not part of the LGBT community but want to support the LGBT community with their spending. Um, you know, similarly, I think, you know, the ally, the ally community, so to speak, um, is huge. And I think that it'll be really interesting to see, like, how that balance continues and, and also thinking a lot about how we continue to build um, a supportive and specific community for the, uh, like, online community for the LGBT community, while also allowing people who are maybe not specifically part of that community to support us and to, you know, to get involved with what we're doing. Um, so I think there's, you know, total potential there, um, you know, even going beyond, uh, you know, I, I, again, I kind of hinted at this earlier, but, you know, thinking about like spending in line with your values um, way beyond the, just the LGBT community, um, you know, women's rights, racial justice, the environment, social justice in general, um, I think has a really broad audience. And um, I think there's a lot of potential there. So we have time for probably one more question on here. Uh, you know, as someone that's so passionate about this space, the startup you worked on before this was also focused on trans and non-binary people. For someone that is like you out there listening to this, like what's something that you just want them to know, whether it be financial or something completely different? You know, I think that, um, I think a lot of the stuff that I kind of said at the beginning for kind of the problem statement is, you know, a lot of the community, a lot of the LGBT community don't actually know a lot of these things. Um, I've spoken to a to a number of the, you know, I've spoken to two of the three of the big three credit bureaus, and they didn't really realize what was happening with trans non-binary people's credit scores. So, you know, really, if, if I can... Uh, if, if people can take away, you know, one thing, it's it's understanding that LGBT people's finances are inherently different, um, but that we still, you know, have the same goals and dreams as non-LGBT people, and we still deserve to to have access to those things. We still want, you know, families. We still want to own a home and to retire and to, you know, live our lives. And we just have, you know, more barriers to get there. Do you see a world where someone like a JP Morgan is? offering LGBTQ services? I definitely see a world where they try. Um, I, you know, I think we've seen um, a, num- a couple of incumbents, you know, specifically MasterCard and a few of their, um, you know, companies uh, like Citibank uh, kind of getting involved in this space. I think often where it seems to miss the mark is they're not quite thinking about the kind of end-to-end solution and are a little held back by the, you know, the size and kind of complexities of their own system. Um you know, earlier when I said I still get mail addressed to my dead name, um, that is because I have used the True Name product, um, which for some reason started sending mail to my dead name to my address. Um, so I think there's a lot to still be worked out at larger incumbents. And I think, um, you know, we had our Call Me By My Name campaign uh, last month that was calling for incumbents to to make the services more 
you know, more welcoming to the trans and non-binary community. So, you know, we really see our role um, in addition to just building great products for the LGBT community to kind of leading the way for, for incumbents and encouraging them to match us. Amazing. That's such a great note to leave off on as well. So if anyone wants to join the waitlist for this product or learn more, they can go to joindaylight.com. Um, otherwise, check them out on Twitter. Billy also has a Twitter as well as the other founders and executives at the company. Um, and in the meantime, if you like this episode, go and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you are listening to this. And I will catch you guys next time. Thank you, Billy. Thank you so much. <laughs>